0: You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. Well, good evening. My name is Rob. I want to welcome you also to this Good Friday service. You know, we just watched a video that was entitled, What's So Good About Good Friday? And the answer in the video uh, was this, that this one thing, that the blood of Jesus can reverse the curse of sin and raise the dead to life. Well, how is that possible? How can the blood of Jesus reverse the curse of sin and raise the dead to life? To life, how how does that actually happen? Well, the first time that we see the blood of Jesus isn't actually on Good Friday, but it's actually the night before on Thursday night. And in Luke twenty two, uh, Luke describes the scenario where we see the blood of Jesus this way. It says this, and he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, "Pray." that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood Falling to the ground. Now, everyone's had a moment in your life, some moment of difficulty where you have asked God to remove this difficulty, remove this pain from your life if you've lived long enough. But nobody has experienced this kind of agony that Luke describes in chapter 22. Jesus is experiencing something very unique, and he described it in verse 44. It says, being in agony, if you'll notice that, in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling To the ground. And in case you think that's like figurative language, doctors tell us this is actually a condition called hematohydrosis. It's a rare but real condition in which human beings sweat drops of blood under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. Well, what would cause this kind of emotional and physical stress upon Jesus? Well, he says what it is in verse 42. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Well, what is the cup that Jesus is referencing here? Well, it's not the cup from the Last Supper that Jesus has just experienced. As much as I love the movie Indiana Jones, uh, it's not the holy grail of medieval folklore. The cup that Jesus is referencing is a symbolic metaphor that points to something else, something bigger than just a small cup. And there have been different answers that theologians have suggested over the years of what this cup is. Some have suggested the cup that Jesus is asking his father to remove from him is the physical torture of the Roman cross, You see, the Romans fine-tuned crucifixion to maximize pain and suffering of the criminal. Jesus is considering in this moment the flogging whip that in itself could kill a person. And he's thinking of the nails that would hold him up to a vertical post. He's, He's considering his inability to breathe and his lungs slowly collapsing. And he's considering the physical pain of slowly choking to death, And he asks his father in this moment to remove that cup from him. Still others have suggested that the cup that Jesus is referencing is the betrayal and the rejection that Jesus is about to experience. Jesus will be betrayed on Good Friday by one of his closest friends— He's going to be left by all of his disciples and hundreds who followed him, who waved uh, palm branches in honor of him, will scatter in fear in just a few moments. He will be the victim of a manipulated court system designed to sentence an innocent person to death. And that's what Jesus is asking to be removed from him. Others have said it's the shame and the humiliation of the cross. Mark tells us that they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and they took the reed and they struck him on the head. And all of those are true. But to understand the full agony of what Jesus is referencing, we need to look at a verse in the Old Testament where Jeremiah talks about the very same cup. In Jeremiah 25, the prophet wrote this. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I'm sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, its kings and officials, to make them a desolation and a waste, a hissing and a curse as at this day. You see, in Jeremiah's day, evil had reigned under bad kings and wicked people for years. And and, and people just wondered, you know, is God just? Is God aware? Does God know about my circumstances? And is God going to act? Is he going to do anything about all this evil and wickedness? And God tells Jeremiah, I am aware, I am just, and they will drink from this cup everything that they have put into the cup because of their evil and their sin and their wickedness. Now, I've never met anybody in my life who didn't want justice and and, and vengeance against evil. But it's usually the evil out there, the evil of Hitler and the evil of Stalin and the evil of child abusers and and sex traffickers, and we all want justice to come to that. But nobody wants justice against their own evil, against their own evil of lying, against their own evil of sexual immorality, against their own evil of greed or of racism and hatred. But for God to be fully just means that God must appropriately deal with all evil, in every form of evil. And if we're honest, we all deserve some measure of this cup that Jesus is referencing. We deserve the cup. And now Jesus, we have to understand, is not caught off guard in this moment at all. He is fully God. He is fully aware. And it was just as much his plan from the beginning as it was his father's plan for him to be in this place, in this moment, about to move forward, with this rescue mission. Jesus knows there is no way for sinners to fix what they've done. Jesus is fully aware that the cup does not belong to him. But as much as he is fully God, Jesus is also fully human. And in the fullness of his humanity, he takes a moment to pray about the suffering he's going to experience and the suffering that he is freely going to take when he receives the cup of the wine of wrath that belongs to you and me and begins to drink it. Now, whenever you have truly been in agony about something, something that is real and and approaching in your life, you've never needed to remind anybody to pray for you. In fact, it's been the opposite. You have reminded other people to pray for you. And in this moment of desperation, Jesus needs no reminding as he pours out his heart to his father. And before we we move on, can we just stop and pause and appreciate this moment for what it is and don't move on too quickly? Can we appreciate the extreme physical and emotional stress he is experiencing in prayer as sweat and blood flow mingled down from his face? As the sun starts to set over the land, Jesus actually wakes up his disciples and ironically begins his lonely journey into darkness. And that journey is going to lead him all the way to a hill called the Skull. It was a place of death. And at 9 a.m. on Friday, on Good Friday, in Jerusalem, the Son of God begins to drink the cup of the wine of wrath that Jeremiah said would make a person stagger and be crazed when pierced by the sword of judgment. And those seconds tick by, And those minutes go by, and the hours go by, and with each minute and with each hour, Jesus is made a desolation. He dies alone and rejected. Jesus is made a waste, dying away from society, outside the camp, among the waste and the excrement of society. Jesus is made a hissing while people scoff at him and mock him. Jesus is made a curse, taking on the very guilt and shame of our sin. And if you and I could go back there, we would just watch this thing go down and we would just want to change places or somehow speed up time. But if we, if we changed places with Jesus, that wouldn't solve anything. You could never atone for your sins. I could never atone for my sins, much less anybody else's sins. The best we could do would be to pray for him and ask that the madness would stop and somehow this moment would be over. You might even wish that the king of the universe, who was ministered by an angel, an angel came to him in the Garden of Gethsemane, That he would just call down all of the angels of heaven and just end the scoffing and the humiliation or at least cover his nakedness. We would just stare in utter disbelief at people laughing at him and gambling for his clothes. The only thing that they valued about him. Now, after three hours of this, at 12 p.m., something changes. Scripture says the whole atmosphere changes. And it describes it as this, that there's darkness over all of the land. And so for three hours, darkness and, and sadness literally covers the sun, Jesus is dying and the whole creation won't allow any light to shine. The prophet Amos wrote about it this way in Amos chapter 8. He says, on that day declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning, and all your songs into lamentation. I will make it like the morning for an only son, and the end of it like a bitter day. Jesus is experiencing the bitterness of this day, and this day is now coming to an end. And Jesus is about to die. And when he's about to die, some more strange things happen. Uh, scripture tells us there is an earthquake. And scripture tells us that the curtain of the temple is torn from top to bottom. The curtain was what separated us from God, and that's That's torn from top to bottom. And then Jesus shouts the word Tetelestai, which in English uh, means it is finished. That's what Tetelestai means. It is finished. Jesus shouts from the cross, which one person said is an ocean of meaning in a drop of language. And when he says the words, it is finished, He's referencing the cup that he prayed about in the garden. And when we go back and we watch Jesus stare into the cup and drink the cup, we realize something. We're staring right into the heart of God who rescues sinners. You see, our greatest need tonight is not masks and gloves to prevent the possibility of something bad happening to us. Our greatest need is to be rescued from all the bad we've already done and the judgment that we deserve. See, the Bible says that we've all sinned. We deserve the cup of judgment. But whoever acknowledges that, whoever owns that reality, whoever turns from trusting in themselves and trusts in Jesus alone is free from the cup of judgment because Jesus already took it for you. The good news of Good Friday is that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us in our place. He took the full weight of all of our sin and all of our shame so that we could go free and live free from the fear of shame and condemnation. The old preacher Charles Spurgeon said it this way, He says, the whole of the punishment of his people was distilled in one cup. No mortal lip might give it so much as a solitary sip. When he put it to his own lips, it was so bitter, he said, let this cup pass from me. But his love for his people was so strong that he took the cup in both hands and in one tremendous drink of love, he drank damnation dry for all of his people. He drank it all. He endured it all. He suffered all. So that now forever there are no flames of hell for them, no racks of torment. They have no eternal woes. Christ hath suffered all that they ought to have suffered, and they must. And they shall go free. Listen, tonight I bring you good news. Listen, Jesus drank condemnation and damnation dry. There is nothing in your past that you can't be forgiven of. There is, there's no scar that you can't be healed from. There is no fear of the future that you can't be freed from tonight. If you turn and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you must and you shall go free. I know that we've got a lot of questions right now. Will my job be waiting for me when I get back? Will my kids ever go back to school again? Will I ever wear real clothes? We've got a lot of silly and serious questions that are swimming in our hearts right now. But the question that must be answered before you ask any of those other questions is do I have forgiveness of sins? Have I put my faith in Jesus? Have I been set free? When I go back to life out there, do I have life in here? And to you, Jesus says, put your faith in me. Say no to yourself. Just you can do that right where you are. You can say no more to you. And so you can say yes to Jesus, to his lordship. And you can say, I want to follow you as my Lord and my savior. You can just say no, no, no to me and yes to Jesus. And you can do that right now. And you can receive forgiveness of sins and you can receive eternal life. And that life will start now and it'll last forever. And brothers and sisters in Christ, the invitation is the same. We're asking the question, does God care about me? Our eyes are on our circumstances, our eyes are on our government, our family, our job, our health. And when our eyes are on those places, we can we can start to ask the question, does he love me? Is he aware? Does he know what I'm going through? Where can I have assurance? Where can I have proof? And Jesus reminds us tonight that He demonstrated it here. Here is where it's proof positive. It's at the cross. And He invites us to draw close to the cross. And if we draw close to the cross, we draw very close to His heart, where we have proof positive and we have assurance of His love. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that at the cross, you demonstrated clearly your love for sinners. And we confess that we are sinners and we confess that our eyes look to other saviors and other things to bring us peace and bring us comfort. But tonight, we turn from all of those places. We fix our eyes on Jesus, who is our place for hope and the person of peace. And we invite you to come and rule over our hearts and our lives and our circumstances. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.